Thank you very much. It's a blessing to be with you today. And I met some of you this summer, uh, Joshua Camp. And if you want, you can be seated and we'll stand back up for the reading of God's Word in a few minutes. I just want to give you greetings from my boys. I brought two of them to the preaching camp with Brother Getch this summer. And we just had so much fun and they learned so much and still talk about some of you guys that were their counselors. I see you sitting out there and thank you for your faithfulness to minister to my family. And some of you have been with us, as, as Brother Getch said, on ministry teams. Thank you for ministering to us that way. Just hearing that trio sing a moment ago, I thought, boy, love to take them home with me to Houston. And uh, just thankful for the ministry that God is giving you and using you. And I want you to know that God is using you right now where you are if you're committed to Him and serving Him. And I was thinking as I was sitting down in the front row here, it was 20 years ago that I was a freshman in Bible college sitting there looking at all those things, hearing those chapel speakers from all over and thinking how old they looked and, and how I would never end up there. And here we are just a few days later, it feels like, and life has moved quickly. My freshman year of college was when 9-11 happened. That was the big event in 2001. And uh, then just all the things that have taken place in our country, in our world. I don't know if you're paying attention to the news right now. All kinds of world events going on that really are going to affect all of us in one way or another. There is so much that we don't know. And yet we serve a great God. We serve a great God who has all power. And I'm so thankful for what God has done in the ministry there in Houston. And as Brother Getch said, it, we started the church five years ago, just my family and I and my wife and our five kids. And God has just blessed and he's grown the work there. And last year, we started another ministry called Great Commission Properties, and they made me the president of the board. I, I'm the youngest guy on the board. That's probably why they made me the president, because they knew it was going to be the most work. I don't know. But anyway, our ministry set up to help inner city church plants get their first facility. And we helped our first church, uh, Brother David Cripps, there in Houston, Texas, at the New Life Baptist Church, as they were started about a year and a half ago and helped them to get their building. He graduated from here, I don't know, probably eight or nine years ago now. And the Lord's blessing them in their work. And then last year, we were able to help restart a church about 90 miles east of us in Beaumont, Texas. And one of the guys that was with us for the last couple of years, and uh, just part, one of the guys I had the opportunity to minister to and mentor, he's now pastoring at the Candlestick Baptist Church there in Lumberton, Texas. And then just last year, I had the opportunity to meet Josh Levesque. And some of you may know him. He was here at your missions conference back last fall. And he's planting a church in Dearborn, Michigan, which uh, many people know as the Muslim capital of North America. The mayor is a Muslim. All the city council are Muslims. Uh, but that is the place. It's been around a long time. That's where Ford Motor Company has their headquarters. I mean, there's an amazing museum there. There's all kinds of really interesting history that's taken place there. Dearborn, just outside of Detroit. And uh, Brother Josh is moved there to start the Dearborn Baptist Church. There's not a Baptist church anywhere in Dearborn. Not only is there not a Baptist church, we can't even find a gospel preaching church of any stripe or any kind whatsoever there in Dearborn. In fact, many of the churches that used to exist there, their buildings have been purchased by the Muslim community and either turned into mosques or allowed to just fall into disrepair. 
as sort of trophies that their religion has taken over that area. And I just got an email this morning. I called Brother Levesque this morning. We got confirmation today that we have agreement for a church property there in Dearborn. And it's right in the center of town. And God has supplied, it's about half the cost that the owners were asking for the property. And so just, if you would, be praying for that ministry over the next few weeks as I may have to make a trip up there and sign papers and do things, but looks like we're going to have a property and I'm already jealous. His building's nicer than our building in Houston. They've got over five acres, an existing church building. Our building, when we started, is it's a converted mechanic shop. So, you know, as far as comparing building to building, I'm excited for them and how the Lord is blessing and God is good. As I said, five years ago, the Lord led my family and I back to Houston, which is where I'm from, it's where I grew up, to start the Arise Baptist Church. I left a ministry where God was blessing. I was working with my best friend, other than my wife, uh, the pastor there. We kind of grew up together. We've known each other for many, many years, and we were having a blast. God was growing the church, had a steady paycheck. I owned a nice home in a small town in Indiana. We lived on an acre. My house was up on a hill. My kids would go out in the wintertime right at the end of our drive and we could sled right in our own backyard. That's how cool it was. The weather was amazing in the summer times and the Lord moved us back to hot and sticky and hurricane prone Houston, Texas to plant the Arise Baptist Church. I tell people we didn't go to Houston because of the weather. Uh, we didn't go because we love traffic. Houston now is about to pass Chicago as the third largest city in North America after LA. And number two, we didn't move back for those reasons. We moved because God moved us there because there are people there that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my biggest concerns as we left the church there and the steady paycheck was how do I provide for my family? I mean, the Bible speaks about that, how a man's supposed to provide for his family. And I have five kids. I've got th two boys in the youth group and one who just turned 11 yesterday. He'll be in the youth group next year. My grocery bill is probably higher than your college bill right now. And I'm not exaggerating. It's crazy how much they can eat right now. But I asked a friend as I was contemplating God's direction in church planning. He had planted a church a couple years ahead of me. And I said, how did you do it? How did you leave a steady job where you were in a good ministry and God was blessing? How did you launch out and plant a church? And he just looked at me and he said, if God's called you to do it, then you do it. You go and God will provide. That was the kind of kick in the pants that I needed to say, I can trust God too. If, if God can provide for him, he can provide for us. You know, I had a goal when we set out of how much money I needed to raise for deputation and support to be able to start this church. And God gave us about half of my goal. I wanted to be able to have time to assemble this great leadership team in our church so they could help with the music and the graphics and the outreach and the children's ministry and all these really important parts of the ministry. And God gave us one other family. I wanted time. I had this big plan of how I was going to lay out our launch and how we were going to 
move to the city and raise the support and develop our plan and our process. And God scrapped all of that and moved up our plan by over six months. See, I'm not here today to tell you you shouldn't have a plan. I'm not here today that if you're going to plant a church, you shouldn't gather a team of people together or that you shouldn't prepare and put together your process. I believe you should steward every resource that God gives you in your service for Him. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about some of the plans and processes and things that God has used and the people that He's assembled together. I believe we've learned a few good things along the way. But my purpose in being here to speak to you this morning, what God has laid on my heart to preach to you is the fact that God is enough. He's enough. In fact, you might even want to correct me and say, wait, God isn't just enough. He is more than enough. He's more than enough. See, I'm burdened today because 20 years ago, I sat in Bible college with a ministerial class of over 600 guys who said, we're committed to serving God and preaching the gospel and going as missionaries and planting churches. And a lot of those guys today are selling insurance. A lot of them aren't even in church. That burdens me. I'm concerned today that even some of you that have sensed God's call in your life into ministry and direction with all of the things going on in our world, with all of just the natural challenges of what about money? What about people? What about talent? What about ability? What about a creative team? All the things I'm not that you may end up failing to launch out into what God has for you as well. Today, I want us to look at the story of a, of a man in Scripture, a very familiar story, a man that God called into leadership. He placed into ministry. He was leading into a new place. He was leading into something that he was unfamiliar with. He was called by God to do something that was impossible for him to do in his own strength. I don't know what God's called every one of you to do. In fact, you might not even be sure what God has called you to do. But I want, to, I want you to see this this morning, that God is enough. He's enough. This morning, you may be looking for answers to questions that you have, or you may be saying, Pastor Will, I don't even know what the right questions are to ask. No matter what you're facing or what God has called you to do, He is enough. God is enough. Would you stand with me together? Turn your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. You might even be able to quote these verses, but I want to read to you Joshua 1 verses 1 through 9. God's Word says, Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. This was Joshua's mentor. This was the man that he had followed, that he'd learned from. And now he's died. 
And he said, now, therefore, arise. As the pastor of the Arise Baptist Church, I like that word, and I notice it often in Scripture. One of the reasons we named the church the Arise Baptist Church. But he says, get up, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Would you join me out loud in verses 8 and 9? God's Word says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Our Father, as we look to you this morning, the concept that you've laid on my heart to preach is not a new concept, probably is very familiar to many in this group, but it's something that you remind me of over and over again. And I pray that you'd help us today to be reminded, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be helped by the truth that you are enough. Lord, help us as we each step forward by faith into the ministry that you call us to do. Help me as I preach today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Joshua was called to lead a nation of over two million people. He had wandered with these people in the wilderness for the past 40 years. He had watched his friends die. He had watched the other adults that had come with him out of Egypt and that had marched through the Red Sea, had seen the manna fall from heaven and God send the quail and the water from the rock and all the things. He had seen all those people pass away, all except for Caleb. These people had failed to go into the promised land because of their lack of faith. In fact, they even tried to go up and God told them, don't go up. I'm not with you. They had been afraid of the giants. They had been afraid of what would come if they went into the land. 
So the people that Joshua is leading are the children of those who lacked faith. These were the ones that the people, in fact, if you read back in the book of Deuteronomy, they had claimed that they didn't want to go into the land because they were afraid for their children. Isn't it interesting the things that we use as excuses to keep us from doing what God has called us to do? I already told you one of my fears. Well, what about my kids? How do I provide for them? What about the money that God, that, that we're going to need to plant this church? God had given Joshua an awesome responsibility, but I would say his, his job, it was also an impossible responsibility in his own strength. This leadership was anything but ideal from a human perspective. Joshua was being called to lead a group of people into a land full of enemies, full of unknowns, full of difficulties. And he was going to lead a group of people who were known for their fearfulness, their lack of faith. They were known for their struggles with idolatry and with their tendency to murmur and complain. You know what this sounds like to me? Sounds like pastoral ministry. Sounds like any ministry that God would call you into. Fearful people. People who struggle with a lack of faith. People who struggle with idolatry. People who like to murmur and complain. It's impossible. So how could he do it? How will you do it? How will you do it? In this passage of Scripture, we have a, a conversation between God and Joshua. It's an incredible conversation that God has with him, and he encourages Joshua about his sufficiency. And I see four different areas that we see it, and I want you to notice with me the first one here this morning. As Joshua spoke with God, he had to understand that he needed to rely on the sufficient, the all-sufficient nature of God's power. You must rely on the total sufficiency of God's power if you're going to be able to serve Him in the way that He wants you to do. It's interesting in the book of Joshua that Moses, Joshua's mentor, was referred to three times in chapter one, and then 13 more times in the book of Joshua as the servant of the Lord. And it's not until the end of the book of Joshua, in Joshua 24, 29, where Joshua is now referred to as well as the servant of the Lord. The Bible says it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. I want to ask you this morning, who do you serve? If you serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jehovah God, the God who is, who was, and who is to come, then you truly serve a great God. He has all power. He knows all things. He is all present. He's everywhere. He is sufficient in his power. Joshua had to be reminded who he was there to serve. 
It's easy in ministry to forget who you're there to serve. Some people in ministry are really focused on serving themselves. Well, I got to make sure I have enough for me. I got to make sure I get enough to take care of my needs. I've got to make sure I do this for myself. Some people even go into ministry for themselves. They, They like the accolades. They like the opportunities. They like some of the joys of it. They see these, well, these pastors, they just golf all the time. I like to golf, so I'll go in the ministry. A couple weeks ago, Dr. Sisk was with us for our missions conference, and so we went out to Top Golf and we hit a few balls. and He, he helped us straighten out my game, which needed a lot of help because the last time I picked up a golf club was over a year ago. Because ministry isn't about yourself, it's not about serving yourself. Ultimately, ministry isn't just about serving the people that God has called you to either. Because if your whole identity in ministry is caught up in serving the people, the people will disappoint you. The people won't always listen to you. Joshua had to understand, just like you and I need to understand, if we're going to serve, we need to serve God. Because he's the one who has all power. We see God's word to him in verse number five of Joshua 1. He says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. A little bit later in the verse, he uses these three words. He says, I, I'm sorry, I can't count. Four or five words, really. I will not fail thee. I'm so thankful we serve a God who never fails. We sing a little chorus sometimes about how Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. We serve a God who never fails. You see, when you have God's power, no man can stand against you. The question is asked, if God be for us, then who can be against us? One of the passages of scripture that God used in my life when he was confirming the call to church planning was from 1 Samuel 14 in verse 6, where Jonathan and his armor bearer go up against the Philistine garrison. And Jonathan looks over to his armor bearer and he says, the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. It may be the Lord will work for us. You see, we serve a great God who has all power. Your strength is not enough. The apostle Paul knew this and he wrote, he said that God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 1 and verse 16, speaking of the power of God. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is, what is? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Yes, doing God's work is hard. It is beyond your strength. The work that God called Joshua to do was beyond his strength. But God's power is completely sufficient to give you the strength to do all that he has called you to do. 
God's power is the only power that you need. In our text, in Joshua 1, in verses 6, 7, and 9, God tells Joshua to be strong. And I have no doubt in my mind that when God spoke those words to Joshua, Joshua recalled the words that Moses had spoken to Joshua back in Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 and 8, where Moses called unto Joshua and he said unto him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of a good courage. These were Moses' words to Joshua. For thou must go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And how encouraging it was as God now comes and speaks directly to Joshua, and he speaks the same words that Moses had spoken to Joshua. Joshua, your strength isn't in yourself. Your strength is in the Lord. You're not strong enough. You can't, but God can. He is able. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.20, he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Over the past five years, God has provided financially. God has taken care of people. God has done all kinds of incredible things. But the most incredible way that I've seen God's power on display is in his work to transform lives through the power of the gospel. Yesterday, or two days ago, I watched a video with my wife that I took. I did one of these Facebook Lives back when they were cool. And I was giving people the tour of our building when we first moved in. And I look at it now and look at where it is today. A lot has changed. In fact, today they're pouring more concrete. They're putting in more lights. They're doing more things. God's, God's blessing in that way. But I look back to how it was five years ago. And I was really concerned with trying to figure out how we're going to get enough money to buy paint, to put paint on the walls, to clean up the messes, to buy some chairs, to to get some things set up so it would be nice. I wasn't even honestly thinking as much probably as I should have been at what it was going to take to actually put people in those chairs. And not just to get them in the building, because you can run a big event and get people to show up but to keep them in the building. And not just to put them in the four walls of the building, but to see them grow and change and transform. That is something that can only be done through the power of the gospel. In the past five years, we've seen prostitutes and drug addicts. We've seen murderers. We've seen all kinds of people that God has transformed through the power of the gospel. I know their names. They're my friends. I'd have them over to my house now. I look around our church on a Sunday morning and it's full twice on a Sunday morning now our building is. And I look around and I only knew about 15 of those people five years ago. How does that happen? (laughs) I tell you, it's not because I'm a great preacher. I mean, you just saw I can't even count sometimes. It's because God is powerful. His power is sufficient for the ministry that he's called you to do. 
There's so much in this passage. I want us to move along quickly. We see that God is enough because His power is sufficient. But I believe as God spoke to Joshua, He challenged him that he must rely on the total sufficiency of God's presence. God's presence. Notice again back in verse 5. He says to Joshua, Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee. And then he says, nor forsake thee. God's presence in your life and in your ministry is more important than anyone else's presence. I think a church planter understands this in a unique way. Because when you show up, it's just you. And there's nobody else. I remember the feeling in my stomach the first time I took a flyer with the invitation to Arise Baptist Church and I walked up to the first door. I'd done a lot of talking about church planning. I'd raised some money. We'd moved our family. We'd done all these things. We even designed the flyer. We paid a graphic designer to design them really sharp. But I remember the first time I pulled one of those flyers out and I walked up to a door and I thought, all of it's just been talk up till now. When I hand this flyer out, I can't take it back. If somebody comes on Sunday, I can't say, well, we weren't ready yet. Because we weren't. I still don't know if we're ready. Then as you hand them out, then, then you get all these flyers, you do all of your events, you advertise on Facebook, you do whatever you're doing to get the word out. And then you sit back and you go, well, I hope somebody's going to come. And there were Sundays in the very early days where it was just my family and I. My brother and his family who helped us at the beginning, they were on vacation one week and we were sitting there and it was just us. You know, when you're planting a church, you're trying to create a presence in the community. You're trying to reach people and get them to come and you hope to have a big crowd. But let me tell you, having the presence of God is more important than anyone else. You see, God promised to be with Joshua. He said, I will be with thee. If God's not with you in the ministry that he's called you to do, I would say more correctly, if you're not with God, you won't experience his work. Jesus said it well in John 15. He says, for without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. God's presence in your life is more important than anyone else. But I see a second piece to this promise when he said, nor I will not forsake you, is that God's presence is the only presence that will be constantly with you. Constantly with you. You see, Joshua didn't need Moses to be successful. Joshua didn't need a dedicated group of followers to be successful. When the people of Israel struggled after their defeat at Ai, it was Joshua all alone with God talking about what had happened. When you start a church, sometimes it's just you there. This past Sunday, as I was praying with a group of men in my office before the preaching service, I said to them, I remember sitting here and praying that at least five cars would be in the parking lot. 
They looked around at me and I said, yeah, I know. The parking lot's full twice on Sunday. That's incredible. That's the power of God. But see, you have to understand whether it's five cars or 50 cars or 500 cars or 5,000 cars, the presence that you truly need is the presence of God. Because without his presence in the work that he's called you to do, it's worthless. You don't need a crowd to be successful in ministry. But as God brings people, I think one of the hardest things after they come, and I tell new church planners this now, it's also hard when they leave because they don't all stay with you. Sometimes they tell you they're leaving, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you're excited about where they're going because they're going on to serve the Lord, but it's still challenging. Sometimes you're not excited about where they're going because you don't know that they're following the Lord. I'm so thankful that it is God who promises never to leave us or forsake us. Ministry can be lonely. Not just church planning, any kind of ministry. But if it's you and God, you have enough. His presence is sufficient. That same promise is reiterated to us in Hebrews 13, 5, where it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. For the Christian, I think the presence of God is most clearly demonstrated through the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. For God's Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, to be present in you, requires a daily walk with Him and emptying of self and filling of the Spirit of God, confession of sin and walking in faithfulness with Him. You can get so busy in ministry trying to make sure you have people there and inviting and visiting and following up and counseling and everything else. But if you forget that the presence that you really need is the presence of God in your life, then you're missing out on the most important presence because his presence is an all-sufficient presence. God is enough. He's enough. We see God's power is enough. His presence is enough. But another wonderful piece in our text this morning is the fact that God's promises are enough. You must rely on the total sufficiency of God's promises. You can see some of the promises that God made to Joshua. He promised him a land. He promised to protect him. He promised to be present with him in the ministry that he called him to do. He promised to provide for his needs. And he even promised success. He promised success. God gave these promises to Joshua and he kept every one of them. You say, well, of course, because we know the whole story. But do you think, think with me for a moment, do you think that Joshua felt like God was keeping his promise when they were defeated at Ai? We know from reading the scripture later on in this book that Joshua struggled with what God had allowed. He doubted God's presence. He doubted God's power. He doubted God's provision. He doubted what was taking place because circumstances didn't seem to match up with God's word. It happens a lot in life and ministry. You will face things and you say, 
God, I thought you promised this. God, I thought you were going to provide for our needs. God, why would you allow this and that? My, my wife got sick. My kids are hurting. They're struggling. How do I deal with this? My friends, God's promises are sufficient. But when you're living life day to day, you may not always sense the sufficiency of those promises. And yet what I'm learning as I keep stepping out little by little, day by day, the longer I serve him, the sweeter it grows. Because his promises are sufficient. One of the struggles that Christians have had over the years and even in Scripture we can read about is the fact that our world is wicked and evil is on the rise. You can't always clearly, visibly see the presence of God in every situation. And I love what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.9 when he said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God promises His presence. He promises that He has all power and He gives us that power through the Gospel to see lives transformed. God is always faithful to keep His promises and He promises to supply all of our need. One of my favorite promises as a church planter is the promise that Christ made in the book of Matthew when He said, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As a church planter, sometimes you get out and you feel like, I'm going to build this church. I'm going to plant this church. Pastors can struggle with the same thing. Parents can struggle with the same thing with their family and their kids. I'm going to do this. Look what I can do. Listen, the only one that builds a church is Jesus. It's through His power, through His presence, through His promises. And you know, in that promise, He continued on. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church planning, you face all kind of fun things. Sometimes it's city inspectors. Sometimes it's financial needs that are greater than, they, than the financial provision that you have. Sometimes it's the people coming to you. As I had last week, a mother who, her child, she's a single mom, she was saved in our church, and her son got bit by the neighbor's dog, like in a bad way, and he had to have surgery to repair his arm. So this past week, she calls me, Pastor, can you help me? I, I can't afford this. I don't know how to pay for it. And I'm trying to talk with my neighbor. I, I don't think, from my understanding, she's been being discipled by one of the ladies in our church that I should take her to court. But, you know, trying to figure all this out. And I said, well, why don't we visit about it? She came by and she talked to me. She said, this helps so much. And then I get a call from, or a text from her Sunday morning this past Sunday. Pastor, I'm bringing my neighbor with me to church. We want to meet with you after the service so we can work out this dog bite situation. I'm like, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> but what an incredible opportunity it was. God uses all kinds of things to get the gospel out. To be able to sit with that lady, Danielle is her name, and be able to share the gospel with her on Sunday over a dog bite. And try to help her work through her fears and her struggles. And you think, man, I don't know if my counseling class prepared me for everything that I'm going to face. Let me just let you in. It won't. <laughs> but God is faithful. Amen. And His promises are sufficient. Don't get busy building your castle. Let the king build his kingdom. 
and do it through you. Finally, and really any one of these points would be a whole sermon in themselves, but I want you to see finally this morning. Not only do we need God's power, His presence, His promises, and all of those are sufficient, but we can see that God is enough and that you must rely on the total sufficiency of God's Word. God's Word. I won't take time for sake of time to read verses 7 through 9 again, but God is challenging Joshua, reiterating his statements once again to him. And in these statements, he says to him that he needs to know God's word. Verse 7, he says, that thou mayest observe to do. If you don't know God's word, you can't do God's word. Joshua, you need to know what my word is. And this is one of the great things about being in Bible college. It's a time to study and get to know God's word. But let me just challenge you and encourage you. When you finish Bible college, you're not done being a student of God's word. In fact, probably what you're doing now is more just teaching you how to be a good student of God's word so that you can be a student of God's word for the rest of your life. Joshua, God's word is sufficient to help you lead the nation of Israel. Young person, God's word is sufficient to give you all that you need, all the answers, all the direction that you need in the ministry that God has called you to do. But you need to know it. He said to know God's word If you look at verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You need to speak God's word. Speak the truth, as Ephesians says, but speak it in love. But speak God's word. I remember in Bible college in my homiletics class and having to prepare messages to preach. Somewhere, I think there's still a recording that exists of that. I don't even think I'd want to watch it. I probably won't even watch myself from today, right? But you think about all the different things that you learn along the way. I look back now to where I am today. I'm speaking God's word every single day, whether in a public preaching forum or in a devotional or in a Bible study or something, multiple times a day. And I've learned the longer I'm in ministry, what people really need to hear from you is the word of God. It's the Word of God. There's lots of other books out there that can help you and give you some understanding on things and explain some things. There are other people you can listen to and there's all kinds of podcasts out there available today. Some of those can be helpful, but there's no substitute for the Word of God. The Word of God. Sometimes we try to take shortcuts in ministry. Well, let me hear how somebody else said it and then I'll just preach their message or let me just read this book and I'll just repeat what someone else said. Those can be helpful things to a point, but there's no substitute for knowing and speaking the word of God. He says, speak the word of God, but he also says we are to meditate on God's word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Hey, I'm, 
I'm pushing 40 now. But there's so much. doesn't matter whether you're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80. There's so much garbage in this world that wants to fill your mind up so you have no space and no time to meditate on God's Word. Man, it's nonstop on social media, video after video, post after post, thing after thing. There's no shortage of media and information to cram into your head. But if your mind's so full of everything else, you have no space for the Word of God. How do you ever meditate on His truth? Have you ever just sat down with your Bible and a notebook and read something like Psalm 23 where the Lord says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... And just think about and meditate on what that means. So why am I struggling and, you know, just messed up all the time? Why do I feel like I want this and I want that and the other thing? Maybe it's because I'm not walking with my shepherd like I should. Because if the Lord's your shepherd, you won't want. Taking any passage of Scripture and just meditating on it, thinking on it, letting God work it deep into your heart. He says that meditation ought to take place day and night day and night. And then he says, if we'll do these things that thou mayest observe to do, we need to also obey God's word. Obey God's word. A lot of people walking around that can talk a good game. I can't tell you the number of unsaved people I meet who have gone through all kinds of life struggle and some of them can quote as many or more Bible verses as I can. You see, the difference in life is not what you know. At the end of the day, it's what you do with what you know. Do God's word. Obey God's word. Many people today are launching out into ministry and they're looking to try to find an edge, something to help them, an advantage. You might be looking for someone new to sit with and give you advice and you ought to look to mentors and spiritual leaders like you have here that can help you. You might be asking for a great book recommendation or, or the next new podcast that's come out or a video that you can watch to give you some insight. Understand, I'm not knocking those things. They have their place, but nothing can substitute for the all-sufficient power of God's Word in your ministry. Amen. Your ministry will be successful as he says, as he promises Joshua, if you rely on the total sufficiency of God's word, God's word. Five years ago, two families started meeting together and we called it Arise Baptist Church. There was a young man who was a student here, Billy Lavon. He graduated from here, no wife, no car, no money, no job, but he had enough faith that he said, I'll move to Houston. So we started in April. He moved to Houston after graduation in May, and he said, I'll come and help. I couldn't pay him. I couldn't do anything other than we provided a bed for him to sleep in, and I said, when I go grocery shopping, I'll take you grocery shopping with me. This is exactly how it happened. We'd go to the store, and he lived on $50 a week of groceries, and that was it. Thankful for somebody that knows how to eat cheap and knows how to cook his own food and all those things. And Billy'd go and we bought a little pan and some dishes and stuff. And I went to this used appliance store and I bought a stove for $100. We still have that stove at the church today. 
And Billy would cook up his rice and pork chops and things that he made. And, and uh, he's from India, so the food always smelled really good. And sometimes he'd even share some of it with me and we'd sit and have lunch. And during the day, Billy and I would paint walls and we'd go out and knock doors and we'd go visit people. And on Sunday, we'd get up and sing and we'd, I'd preach and we'd just do whatever we could to see God work. Today, the Arise Baptist Church has over 250 people that call Arise their home. Over the past year, we've helped to start two other churches, and I already told you about the church in Dearborn that we're helping now. We've got a group of men at our church that are studying for the ministry. We have two services on Sunday morning, a, a Sunday evening service, a Wednesday night service. We own a building that's paid for. We're, we're debt-free, and it's now worth almost $2 million dollars. We've seen many people trust Christ and baptize. We have over 100 adults right now that are being actively discipled in their walk with the Lord. Amen. Today, Billy, that West Coast graduate, he's got a job. He's one of my assistants. He works for me. I texted him this morning. And he doesn't just work for me for free now. Actually, he gets a paycheck every two weeks. He has a wife. She's our financial secretary. He has a son. They had a baby born just a couple months ago. And he's not just has one vehicle, he has two vehicles, and he has a home. Five years. I can tell you this, is, this work has not been done because of our great power. This work has not been done because we've had the best team or the most talented people. I can tell you this work is not done because we're the most creative people in the world. Or that we even have always the best and most innovative ideas. We're far from perfect, but I continue to learn every day of the sufficiency of God's power, the sufficiency of God's presence, the sufficiency of his promises. And I'm so thankful as a preacher of the word of God, the sufficiency of the word of God. God's enough. There are many fears that'll keep you from ministry. There are many false hopes that'll distract you from ministry and get you busy doing a lot of other things and forget the best thing. There's only one God. There's one Heavenly Father, one Holy Spirit, one Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one faith, one baptism. There's only one way to heaven. God's enough. God's enough. This morning... I'd invite you in just a moment as we close to confess your self-reliance to God. Confess your fears to the Lord. Trust Him. You might say, Lord, I've been trusting in myself. Trusting in my ability. Maybe you've just been coveting someone else's ability or someone else's provision. Maybe you might say, Lord, I've just been making excuses. This morning, I hope you'll just say, Lord, I need you. You're enough. You're more than enough.